Well, good morning. Hey, today we're excited to be kicking off a brand new series of messages called The Game of Life when life is not a game. And let me just ask you right here, whether you're here with us or you're watching online, how many of you would just be honest and say for you right now in this season of your life that you're overwhelmed, a bit overwhelmed? If you're at home, type in chat me, if that's you. Yeah, and uh, stick with me. A few months ago, uh, during this whole COVID thing, right, everything is different, and I was at the dentist, and I'm sitting in the dentist chair, which I thought was really weird, with a mask on, and I'm thinking, how this can all work, right? And um, I'm sitting there, and of course they come in, and you can take the mask off, and they put the bib on you, and all that thing that happens at the dentist, right? And then they start cleaning your teeth, and they want to talk to you and ask you questions why they got all this stuff in your mouth, which I thought's another interesting thing. And then I found myself, as she's talking about what's going on around us in the world, and everybody's got an opinion and all that, right? That I find myself then thinking, how cool is this? Like my mind has been going so crazy on so many things from the moment I wake up until I try to go to sleep, right? And my brain is always going. And this is really odd. I sat there and I thought, wow, this is pretty refreshing. For once, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to think about what's going on. I just get to kind of sit here and watch this stranger in my face cleaning my teeth and what was really, really sick about my thought is you know you're sick and you know things are a little out of whack when you actually look forward to going to the dentist to relax a bit, <laughs> right? Can we just admit that's weird? And what I'm saying as we kick off this thing is I'm just going to tell you that the person standing in front of you today does not have this whole thing figured out yet. I'm a fellow struggler on this journey of being overwhelmed. Doesn't that make you feel good? But we live in a world of hurry. <laughs> we're frantic. Everything we're about, right? There's just so many things going on. And I, I want you, if you've taken notes out today. If you're home, I hope you'll download these. If you're here in person, you can take notes, do them on your phone, whatever. Just don't be texting people. I'll, I'll know. Anyway. <laughs> but if you think about our lives, they're pretty complex. We're multidimensional people, right? We have several things. We have different aspects, facets, if you will, of our life. And we'll call these components life components for today. And I've listed eight of them there on your note sheets. We're going to go through these a little bit. Think about all the different aspects you may have to your life. We've got the component of children, right? If you've got children, you've got some added things potentially in your life. You've got kids with schedules. You've got kids at different ages. You've got all these things going on. You've got school, whether it's in person or online. You've got their social activity. You've got what are they doing on the computer so much? Oh, that's school. But are they really doing school? And you're shuttling them all over the place. And they want this and they don't want this. And, and they're driving you nuts, right? That's kids. That's one facet. But then if you have kids, you probably also have a family component, and you want to spend quality and quantity time with your husband, your wife, your kids. You're trying to juggle all these balls of what goes together. The more people you have in your family, the more balls to juggle. Everybody's got a schedule. Everybody's task or what they want to do is more important than everyone else's. At least it is in their opinion, right? That's another life component. Then you have work. We've got projects. We've got deadlines. They say the average middle manager has 36 hours of piles of work on their desk. 
And you know what they say? The average person, we spend three to four hours a day shuffling around the papers that are on our desk. How's that for a productivity? Right? And some people are working from home and some people wish they couldn't. Some people wish they didn't have to or they couldn't or whatever the deal is. And now you're, you're like, what are, how are we doing this? I'm working from home. My kids don't ever go to school anymore. Whatever your situation is, it's another life component. Add to that component, right? We've got a school component. Whew, school, yeah. Some people are saying, what's that? Whether you're online or you're in person, whole nother dimension it's added, correct? Homework, tests, how they doing? Are they doing then there's a personal component. <laughs> Some of you, we give so much time to those other components, you say, what's a personal component anymore? I don't have any time for personal time. I don't have any time for personal growth, health, exercise, hobbies. What are those, right? But we're not done. What about a friend component? Who are the people that you hang out with? Who do you correspond with? If you're not getting together like you used to, you're meeting new, it's like, I don't have time for friends. And there's a component of your spiritual life. How are you doing with God? Really? Are you having a daily time where you pick up God's word? Are you having a quiet time? How are you doing with this whole worship thing, whether it's in person or it's online, and which one, and how do I do that? And you know what? I can do it anytime, but then do I do it? And I want to serve, or I can remember serving. I love to serve. I am serving. I wish I could. Again, whatever that is, there's a component there. And all of these components, right? And if that's not enough, we got a seasonal component. Seasons change, right? It's one of the things I love about Michigan. Seasons change. We're just getting ready to go in to a phase where not too long, kids are going to get out of school. We're going to have the summer component. And you're like, come home from school? They haven't went to school for some of you, right? You're like, what do you mean? Yeah, normally it's a summer break. Now we need a break because the, uh, we've been together, right? And some of you, can you go on vacation? What about it? And I don't know. And all of these components, you thought you were normal. Some of you didn't raise your hand to say you were overloaded and now you're overwhelmed and now you hear all these life components. How many of you want to revote? Right? Some of you are like, yeah, thanks for bringing all this stuff up. I thought I was pretty good. Here's the crazy thing. Here's what's sick. <laughs> you laughed at me sitting in the dentist chair. A lot of us think that what's going on in our world, we've done it for so long that it's normal. You just, that's what life is. And then one day you just drop dead. Is that the way God intended it? So many responsibilities to meet that you just don't know what to do next. You lay your head down at night, but your mind just keeps going and going and going, and you're thinking about all the stuff that you wanted to do, but you should have done, but you didn't get done, and how much stuff you got going tomorrow. And then there's that thing next week and next month, and all of a sudden, uh, and some of you are saying, I don't even have enough time. I don't even know what to do. I could talk more about this, but I put so much in the, crammed so much in the message today, I can't even do that. So we're just gonna move on. I was thinking about that this week, that our calendars are very busy. And there's also other influencers that infiltrate all these life components that make us even more and more overwhelmed. So I have a little equation. Again, it's on your note sheets. If not, you can see it up on the big screen. But at, we got life components. You know now that we at least looked at eight facets of that. But add to that personality. <laughs> you take all these pressures and all these balls that we're juggling, and then you add a personality type in. 
right? I, for one, I'm a type A personality. Those of you that have your head down, you're taking notes very quickly, so are you. Type A personality, I have sticky notes all over. I make notes. That's what type A personalities to do. I like to-do lists. How many of you like to-do lists? See, those are type A people. You're like, yes, check that off. Yes, check that off. How many of you hate those things? Yeah, I'm married to a type U. Some of you say, hi, what's a type U personality? That's the type I'm married to. No, I just made it up. Type U is unwound. My wife, Debbie, is the queen of kickback. I mean, she, she wakes up in a good mood. If you know her, she's always smiling. People are like, how's your wife so happy? I said, look who she's married to. No, I, yeah, they're saying, that's what we know. How could she wake up happy? <laughs> and sometimes when you're a type A and you're married to somebody that's not a type A, <laughs> you're like, I just don't understand it. We've been married 38 years, right? I don't know how many years, but it was a long time ago. I'm more wise than I was. But I remember one of our anniversaries, I, I was so excited to buy her this gift. I thought this is going to be so good for her. I bought her a daily planner. Yeah, see, I didn't know. So I'm like, I thought, man, I can't wait. She opens this. This is going to help her. She's going to be able to start writing things down and do all this stuff. And she wasn't real happy with the gift. Matter of fact, she hated it. So add personality to your life, right? To your life components and then add life stage. How many of you know there's different life stages, right? Some of you have little kids. Some of you had middle school kids. Some of you have high schoolers. Some of you have college kids. Some of you say, wow, we don't even have kids. Some of us are empty nesters. Some of you are empty nesters or you used to be and then they came back. And you're like, what the heck is this? I don't even know. I thought we had an empty nest. Now I look around. There's more birds back in the nest. What happened? Every life stage brings its own thing, right? When you have little kids, you're like, How did, what was life like before kids? Like, holy cow. I remember my son. They, had, they have a two-year-old, right? And he's like, Dad, I remember we used to just decide we want to go somewhere. And you just jump in the car and go. Now you can't do that. You got to do we have a diaper bag, diaper bag. What about the car seat? And is it in the right car? And what about this? And what about this? And do we have a change of clothes? And do we have extra diapers and milk and blah, blah, blah? I said, yeah, welcome to life. A stage of life called raising little kids. Some of you are in a different life stage though, right? Some of you are taking care of an elderly parent. It's added a whole new dimension. It's just a whole new season of life. Some of you are in a season of life where you're under a lot of stress because the car broke down. You lost a job. Your marriage is struggling. You got financial difficulties, teenage difficulties. What do I do with my parents that are getting older? And if those aren't enough, that's crises, right? That's on there. You take life components plus personality plus life stage plus crises. All those life components. And I wish I would have never added this next one. But I sent notes in too early so I couldn't pull it out. It's insecurities. This is the one I wrestle with still the most. In the quiet reflections of my mind... I think the primary reason that Scott Winstead is often overwhelmed is because of my flaming insecurities. 
the things that drive me nuts inside. I've got this dragon that lives inside of me that I'm on a continual fight to slay. And every time I'm overwhelmed and I stop and I pause and I reflect on my life, it seems to always point back to some insecurities. My need to be loved, to be liked, my desire to be valued. The pressure I have where I have this innate crazy thing that wants to make everybody happy and pleased. So you add that insecurity component with crises and life stage and personality and these other life components, here's what it all equals. Overload. Overload. Do you see that? No wonder so many of us. And you're like, well, yeah, but what's that mean? All these things are going to continue to exist. And if you didn't raise your hand at the beginning, my guess is you would now. And is that the way God wants us to live? You can stay on that same train and keep doing everything the way you're doing things, and so can I. But you know what's going to happen? A year from now, you're going to look a lot like and be just more frantic than you are today. You say, well, maybe I just need to cancel a few appointments, cut back a little. It's the wrong answer. That's a lot bigger and a lot deeper than that of what you and I need to do. So if we're ruthlessly honest, when we're overwhelmed inside, there's something that's bigger, way bigger and deeper and quite honestly more painful. Because can I tell you, when you're that overwhelmed, when you're that overloaded, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. It affects your family. It affects other people. Because when you're overwhelmed and you're wiped out like that, things like stress are already going on. Fatigue is going on. You've got some frustration going on. You've got anger. You've got fear. You've got tears. You've got some illness. You've got pressure. You've got relationships that you're hurting all because of these things. And when you get to that point, let me tell you what we do. We start to skim in areas of our life. It takes an effect. It costs something in other areas of our life. We skim on relationships. Listen, some of the people that we say we do what we do for are the ones that are losing out. Some of you are sitting next to them, whether it's here in person or on your couch, and you're, you're becoming one of those statistics. You know what the statistic says for an average married couple? Do you know how many minutes they spend in meaningful conversation a day on average? Seven. Seven. Whether you have one kid, two, three, four, or five, do you know how many minutes an average couple today spends in direct dialogue with their kids? I'd like to see if the statistic changes now. But five. Five minutes a day. The people that we say they love, the combined total is about seven minutes of meaning. Not, hey, quit doing that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about meaningful conversation. It's odd, isn't it? Let me ask you this. You know when you're personally hurt? You ever walk in, you're exhausted, and have a spouse say to you, I don't feel like I know you anymore. Like you're here, but you're really not here. Like where have you been? You ever had your kids say, Mommy or Daddy, why do you work so much? Why are you gone so much? Why are you on that computer so much? See, we skim on relationships when we're overwhelmed. 
Do you know what else happens? Our faith. We have a superficial faith. This isn't like we sit down one day and say, I'm done with God. I'm just going to shut off everything. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore. I'm not going to worship anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not serving anymore. We don't normally get to that point. It just happens. Because we're so overwhelmed, we don't go after what's important. We go after what's most urgent. We get going so many urgent balls up in the air that we skim on things that matter. Can I tell you, I meet a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, and I just know that they're not going to reach their full potential that God created them to be a part of until they do something to change the pace at which they're living. We can't even stop to pray. People are like, I pray while I'm driving. That's a great thing. I mean, that's good use of your time, but if that's the only time. We're so overwhelmed, we do, you know, we're not worshiping right now. We haven't worshiped really for a long time. I can't tell you the last time I picked up my Bible and really read it because it's just so busy and so many demands. We're skimming. We're skimming. I wonder, I'd love to have a screen. We have a screen, but I'd love for every person that's in person and every person that's watching right now, if we had a picture into your mind of what you're thinking about right now. Some of you'd say, wow, this is what keeps coming up. Man, I just hear this screaming loud and clear based on what you've said. Some people are like, oh, you've been talking? Like you're so overwhelmed, your mind's been somewhere else. But whatever you would write down or did write down or you had a mental note of, can I tell you something that I know that you know about that? That the pace that many of us are living, the way our lives are, that it's just not right. Like you kind of inside know that's not the way it should be. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have life to its fullest. Some of you are like, I got the full part down. That's not really what he's talking about. He meant to be most abundant, to get joy out of life, to enjoy it. Not everything, but overall, like, wow, I'm in a good place. But yet I think many of us would just have to admit we're pretty overwhelmed. Jesus came to teach us about another way. Jesus, of all people, knew what it was like to be overwhelmed. He understood pressure. You, can, you can't read your Bible and not figure out that we're, Jesus was under a lot of pressure. He had a huge responsibility. Wherever he went, there was a crowd that wanted to follow him. They wanted something from him. They had heard about him. Maybe he could do this for me or maybe for my family. He understood pressure. He was a busy, busy guy. Imagine being savior of the world. You came to live, to die for the sins of the world. Add that to your list of life components, right? He had everything you and I have plus that. And one day Jesus looked at a group of people who were tired that were overwhelmed like many of us are overwhelmed. And he made a promise to them that is still rings true for us today. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. You get that? Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, Jesus said. If you're at home and you got those notes, you might want to circle or you hear, watch how I do it. That's what Jesus said. Watch how I 
Jesus, God's son, watch how I do it. I want us to find some hope today in that. I hope you're not looking at the TV or here and just say, wow, I'm so depressed. I want you to find some hope by what Jesus said. And then we're going to look in and what did he do so that you and I can find the life that he talks about when we focus on him. I want to be careful today not to give you a bunch of things to do because you don't need more things to do. I hope today that we're going to help you change the way that you think. I'm not expecting 180 degrees from everybody, but I'm hoping for 30 or 40 percent. I'm hoping that because of what we experience here today, that you're going to see there's so much value and so much freedom to get, to take a breath that you don't have to be this way next year because you're going to make some changes. Now, <laughs> you ready? Here we go. Five things not to do, five things that we're going to look in on Jesus because we're looking for a paradigm shift, right? This isn't how we're supposed to live life. So here's five things to think about. Number one, when you're overwhelmed, you've got to recognize your value. You see, when you get overwhelmed, you tend to lose your value. You're so going crazy, you don't even realize if there's value in your own life. This flies in the face, by the way, of my insecurity piece. You could stand up and say, I'm insecure, I admit it. God says he knew that. You don't think God knows who I am and how I'm wired? You don't think he knows how you're wired? I've got to know my value, that I'm important. God wants me to know that I matter to him, that I'm a one-of-a-kind, unique, handmade, God-made masterpiece, and so are you. God made you. No one else is like you. You've got value, all right? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27. Jesus uses word pictures and illustrations, which I love. And he talks about the birds, not the birds and the bees, different story, just the birds. Notice what he says. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Anybody here worry about everyday life? Every hand should be up at home. Slap, no, don't slap the person next to you. Help hold their hand up, all right? That's why, this is Jesus talking. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life, doesn't life consist more of more than food and your body more than clothing? And then he says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your lovingly heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Can all your worries, Jesus said, can all you worry about add a single hour or a single moment to your life? And the answer is no. It'll probably take some days off, quite honestly. Jesus said, was saying, don't get caught up in the small externals of life and forget about the purpose of life, the eternal truth. And the eternal truth is, I created you and I love you and you have worth. If anybody is on God's welfare plan, it's the birds. Think about a bird. They just fly around. I'd love to fly like that. Just glide around. You're like, where do they go to the grocery store? They don't. God feeds them. And you get to play games like, hey, look, that guy just washed his car. See if I can hit it, right? Wouldn't that be fun? 
I think with some of my frustrations, that'd be fun just to do. I'm thinking about walking around at night and crawling up. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Just, sorry, my mind. God says, aren't you more valuable than birds? If I'll take care of the birds like that, don't you think I care about you? Isn't that amazing to think about? One of the most prominent theologians, Bible scholars of the 20th century. This guy wrote 12 volumes of systematic theology. Consisted of 6 million words. 9,000 pages. He studied the Bible his whole life. He studied it in the original language, Greek and Hebrew. Poured his whole life into it. At the end of it, towards the end of his life, he got interviewed. And the interviewer said, listen, you're a brilliant guy. You know so much, maybe more than anyone else about God's word. You can read it fluently in Hebrew and Greek. You can look at original manuscripts and change them into the right language. Can you tell us what's the most profound thing you've learned? He's got his pen ready. It's going to be good. The man didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely, I can tell you. Here's what I've learned. The biggest thing of all. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Listen. I don't know why that impacted me so much. But that's a mic drop. Guy that knows the Bible inside and out. What's the most profound thing? It's Jesus loves me. And his Bible tells me he does. You know what that means? You're valuable to God. You know what that tells me? Even with my insecurities, I'm valuable to God. Some of you are like, yeah, I've heard that before. I heard that in Sunday school. You're right. But one of the reasons that we haven't really put our arms around it is because, don't miss this. You know why? Because you and I, many of us have grown up to perform to get love. Stay with me. Don't lose me here. Or don't let me lose you. For many of us, we grew up in a home where we got love when we performed. Good things happen when we performed. When we said yes, when we got good grades, we were rewarded. When we said no, love was often, maybe not intentionally, they didn't know, but it was pulled back from us. So we got a message really early in life that say, you don't say no in life because when you say no, good things necessarily don't happen. But when you say yes, when you give people what they're looking for, what they ask for, when you perform, then you get good rewards. We're trying to earn it. We've learned by saying yes and filling up these components of our life. We think, man, if I'm busy, if I'm busy, I got in trouble when I wasn't busy. I was called lazy. So now I work, 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 work because I'm valued when I work. If we get our kids involved in all of these things, then listen, they've got more value. 
If they do good there, did you get first place? Did you get the blue ribbon? Did you beat your goal from last time? And I'm not bagging on all that. Just follow me for a second. They start to think that's what it is. If I have a perfect house and a perfect yard, people are going to think I've got it all together. And I get value. And when I achieve things, I get value. Value comes. And then God steps in and he says, time out. Time out. I love by different rules. I don't love based on performance. My, my love doesn't involve doing God doesn't love you more when you do good. Matter of fact, there's nothing you can do or I can do to make God love me more. It's not based on my performance. But I live in a world that I've learned that everything good comes from how I perform. How did I do? Did I say yes and didn't disappoint? But God says, You're, there's nothing you could do to make me love you more. And get this, there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. Wow. Can I tell you, as a, as a teacher, as a pastor, when I stand up like this, when you say, ha, 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 when I see you write notes, when I see you flying elbows to your husband or your wife because of something I said that you're really saying, hey, are you listening? When you laugh, when afterwards you say, you know what? Hey, and that was a great man. Thanks, that, that changed my life. Thanks. You know what? <laughs> I get value from that. But can I tell you, it's short-lived. It's short-lived. I want to give you something and I hope you make this so personal. Ask yourself, where do I get my value from? Where do I get my value from? From my husband, from my wife, from my marriage, from my kids, from my work? Maybe you get your value from God. As I walked through this message this week, I said, Scott, that's probably the only point I need to make is to tell people that they recognize their value. That might be the only point I really needed today was to recognize my value. That it's not based on my performance, it's based on who God is and he loves me for who he created me to be. But like you might have guessed, I didn't listen to myself, so let's go to point two. <laughs> Realize that you can't please everyone. <laughs> Now, you know what And I know in my head? There's no way I can please everybody. But you know what I try to do oftentimes with my flaming insecurities is I try to please everyone. Four or five years ago, I had a wet, wise, wise old pastor put his hand on my shoulder. We were talking through some things and he looks at me, puts his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, it wasn't my dad, but he said, son, you can't please everyone and you're gonna die trying. <laughs> Thought I used to like you. How many people pleasers are in this room? How many people pleasers at home? How many people could care less? That's another message for another day. <laughs> A great event took place that's recorded in Matthew chapter 26. Here's what it says. 
While he was eating, a woman came in with beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over Jesus' head. She wasn't ticked, by the way. She was doing it for a good reason. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. In other words, they were ticked. Why were they ticked? It goes on. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold, that perfume you just poured on his head and wasted could have been sold for a high price and the money could have been given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of what they said, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus' friends didn't like what was happening, and Jesus stopped him and said, this lady isn't wrong. You guys are wrong. What she was doing was an act of worship. You were worried about her wasting some money on worship. And then he said, There'll always, you'll always have the needy with you, but you won't always have me. Jesus walked this earth for three years doing ministry. He did a lot of great things for a lot of people, but get this, he did not meet everybody's needs. If Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, couldn't make everybody happy and meet their needs, how in the world do you think you or I are going to do it? I've done this for (laughs) 33 years, and I still haven't figured that all out. I think it goes back to the performance for love, right, and acceptance, which goes back to my insecurities, which goes back to the most profound thing I love is Jesus loves me, that I'm valued not based on my performance, but who I am. Wow. Who do you need to stop trying to please? It's a good question, right? Let's go to number three. Make time decisions based on your convictions, not other people's agendas. Make time decisions based on your convictions. I hope your convictions come from God and your time spending together going through his word of what really matters and you fall from those convictions so you don't allow other people's agendas twist you off the path. Now, can I just tell you on any given week, I've got a whole long list, I'm sure, of people that have decided what they think I should be doing with my time. Right? And typically, the person on the, end, the other end of an email or a phone call or whatever, in their world, what they want me to do or think I should do is about them and what they want or need. Just being honest, right? That's the way we work. Where do your convictions come from? You know what so many of us respond to? And I'm guilty of this. We respond to the pleasure of the moment and the pressure of the moment. If I, well, it's just one thing. I mean, I could do that. It'd only take me 30 minutes and they'd be happy. But that takes 30 minutes away from something else I may should have done that's more of a conviction or a priority than that. Make sense? That's how it works. Would you lead this? Would you volunteer for this? Hey, I got this great idea. I think you could do this. Do you mind doing this? And I'm all about serving. And I think we should all be about serving. But you can't do it all. Would you attend this? Hey, listen, my wife and I want to move to California. Would you just hold on to two hyperactive kids while we move there? (laughs) 
Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 37. In your convictions, just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Jesus was a master of when to say yes and when to say no. He didn't always say yes and he didn't always say no. Some of us don't know the word no. Some of us need to practice the word no. Some of us need to go home and stand in the mirror and practice saying no. See how that shapes your mouth? No. Some of you need to watch commercials or internet things that pop up to try to sell you stuff and just say no. You need to practice saying no because they got an idea of what you should do with your money and it's send it to them for something that's going to promise you something that will never deliver. We have houses full of that stuff. Why'd you buy that? I went to the store. I didn't even plan on buying it. Didn't even know that thing existed, but I brought two of them home. Because <laughs> we can't say no. We need to say no, realizing everybody's got an agenda. I'm not saying everybody's a criminal. Everybody's twisted, but everybody's got an agenda, right? But I only have one life to do what God put me on this planet to do. I can't do that when I'm doing everybody else's agenda. Matthew 19 is a great example. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and pray for them because they had heard about Jesus. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Because why? That wasn't their agenda. They're like, hey, get these little kids away from him. He's an important guy. Keep the kids away from Jesus. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Jesus didn't let even his own disciples get him off track. He said yes to what he knew was his purpose. You know why I think so many of us raised our hands and said we're overwhelmed? Because we've allowed other people's agendas to control a lot of our time. And we, get, we, we don't mind doing it, but after we look at things, we're like, now I don't even have time to get done the most important things. Can I tell you, it's not their fault for asking. It's my fault for saying yes and never saying no. I have a choice. You have a choice. Nobody holds a gun to my head and says, you got to do all that stuff. So we need to practice saying no. What convictions are showing up in your life? If you had to jot something down, what is it that you say yes, 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 yes to that you know, A, it's not a conviction of yours. B, it's probably not even a wise use of your time. But you've struggled more to say no. You just keep doing it. Do something about that. That's good. Number four. When you're overwhelmed, you've got to withdraw to be refreshed by others. When you're overwhelmed, you need to go away. You need to withdraw. You need to carve out some time to be refreshed by some other people. As I read about the life of Jesus, he often withdrew from the crowds of people, the demands of the people, and he either hung out with his disciples or a close friend, and he just got refreshed. The Bible says he would go away. Matthew 13 says, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. He had to get away. When you think about your relationships, think about your friends. Are you the one that always makes the phone calls? Are you the one that always initiates time together? If you didn't make the phone call or you make the text or the email, you probably would not get together. If that's true, then listen, you, that's not a refreshing friendship. <laughs> we all need some, a couple at least, refreshing friendships. You can have a 
a needy person or two around you that, you know, needy people, they always need something. They're like what we called relational vampires. Remember that series? They suck life out of you. Listen, you can have one or two of them little suckers, but you shouldn't have your whole friendship as suckers. Just saying. They just attach themselves to you. Like, can't even peel them off, right? Anyway, I'm not saying blow those people off. Please don't hear me say that. I'm saying you need some refreshing friends, and those aren't refreshing friends. We all need them. Jesus needed them. Some of you are saying, I'm too busy. I don't have time for those kind of friendships because all those other things you talked about early on, I'm doing all those things. You need them. Jesus needed them, and if he needed them, you and I need them. It's time to make a change. Write down a person in your life that you think is refreshing. That you're saying, wow, I haven't even been with that person. I haven't even talked to that person for a long, long time. But when I was, I always walked away feeling better. It was refreshed. You need one of those or two of those in your life. Number five, take time for solitude. Take time for solitude. Time to be alone. There's two things on your note sheets that I want you to look at. Remember all that stuff I crammed in there? I just looked up the clock and like, oh my. <laughs> I'm out of time. One of the things I can almost guarantee you that you don't have on your calendar, even those of you that keep a calendar, is solitude. We schedule everything else. I even scheduled time to go to the dentist. But for years, I never scheduled solitude on my calendar to protect it. My guess is you don't either. You need to schedule, have your secretary, your assistant, your spouse, you got to schedule it and own it. Block it off just like you would valuable, important because it is valuable. What are you going to do with that solitude? Two things. You're going to reflect through time alone. In other words, you're going to look at your life. You're going to look in the mirror. You're going to look at your overwhelmness and say, wow, am I... Overwhelmed because of insecurities? Why am I so overwhelmed? What am I doing? Am I going after the big things or am I allowing everything else to crowd in? What's really going on in my life? You owe it to yourself to reflect through your own life with some time alone. Schedule it regularly. Hold on to that time slot. And the other thing you're going to do when you have some solitude is you're going to refuel through time with God. I'm going to refuel through time with God. I, he spent time with his father, even though he only had three years to do his work on this earth, and he had a lot of demands on his time. He knew how important it was to get to the father who was his fuel source. If you are so busy that you don't take daily time to refuel with God, can I just tell you, as a Christ follower, you are way too busy. There's nothing you will do more important. Uh, there was a wise old preacher that was known for his prayerful time with God every day. And you know what he told people? When I'm busy, I pray an hour a day I spend time with God. When I'm really busy, I spend two hours. You and I say, what? When I'm busy, I spend one minute. When I'm too busy, I spend no minutes. And we wonder why we're overwhelmed. Let me close this way. <laughs> I'm a bottom line type of guy. 
It's a strength and a weakness. I'm not going to go into that. But can I tell you about Scott Winstead? Scott Winstead is a different person when I spend time with God. That's the bottom line. I'm a different person when I spend time with God. The way I see people is different when I spend time with God. The way I see myself is different when I spend time with God. The way I hear things is different when I spend time with God. My heart is different. The way I love my wife and my kids and my grandkids is different. That's the bottom line. Remember the list of Jesus' stuff and what did he say? If you want to get to this point, keep company with me. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the key. And you and I can start it today. You can start it in the morning. Keep company with him. That's the answer to overload and overwhelmed. It starts there. At some point you say yes to Jesus as a top priority. Would you bow your heads with me? Speaking of top priorities, for those of you listening and watching that have given your heart and life to Jesus, can I just say maybe you need to get back to your first love as Jesus would say it. You've lost your first love. You've gotten so busy and overwhelmed that you forget what you have and who you are based on his opinion. So those of us that know Jesus, listen, we just need to spend time with him. We need to make that our number one priority, just to be refueled and refreshed more than we need anything else, a change of calendar or any other way. For some of you, listen, you've never given your heart and life to Jesus. Today's your day. If you've never said yes to God before, he brought you here today to give you that chance. You don't need to attend a seminar. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You just silence your heart, be honest with God, and admit that you're a sinner, and that you've never trusted him as Lord and Savior. Oh, you had some beliefs, but you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Today's your day. Right where you're at, say, God, I want a relationship with you. I ask that you'd come into my life and be the leader and the manager of it to be my Lord that you'd forgive me, forgive me for turning my back on you and doing things my own way. Make me brand new today from the inside out. And as much as I understand it right now by faith, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Use me, I pray, in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Everybody said and everybody typed in chat. Amen, amen. Listen, next week, remember that whole marriage component? We're going to talk about that. Hope you have a great, great day. Hope you'll put this into action. Do something. But remember who you are. And you're enough. On your best day or your worst day, God still loves you. God bless. Take care.